It's interesting because the Gildersleeve character created on the Fibber McGee and Molly show was a, a harsh, abrasive kind of a guy, always fighting mm -hmm. with Fibber McGee. But when this series began, he took on a whole different kind of a character, and it was warmth, and it was the Well, he the was niceness. himself. Right. Yes, he was himself. He was just a fine man. You were one of the characters on the show that always got one up on the Gildersleeve. Anyway, I mean, yes. you were always like one step ahead of him, weren't you? <laughs> well, there was no wife or mother. Uh -huh. And these were, this was a, a home where he had a nephew and a niece. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, uh, of course, Margie and Leroy. Well, I was the housekeeper, and, of course, I had been around them supposedly for many, many years, mm -hmm. and I was more or less like a mother to them. And I'd quarrel with him if he didn't <laughs> pick up things. <laughs> so we just enjoyed it. It was a lovely, lovely family thing. It was a great show, and mm -hmm. you made a great contribution to it, you know? Yep, I was happy doing it. By December of 1941, the Great Gildersleeve was such a hit that Kraft ordered 13 weeks of repeats for eight more West Coast NBC stations to air, Thursdays at 6.30 p.m. beginning in January. The program would now air on 60 total NBC stations. Summerfield was a pleasant slice of rural Americana. Most of the action took place in an eight-block area. There was a city park with an old-fashioned bandstand and a large reservoir that would soon come to play a major role. On August 18, 1942, Gildersleeve would be appointed water commissioner, beginning an illustrious career that might be described as doing nothing at all. The great Gildersleeve's rating cracked the top 50 in the first year. It rose to 24th in 1943, and by November it was pulling an 18.1. In the middle of March 1944, it was up to 19 points, good for fifth overall on Sundays. On March 12th, at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time, the great Gildersleeve took to the air with an episode on the importance of registering to vote. The Great Gildersleeve! A special rebroadcast for all you soldiers, sailors, and Marines of the United Nations. Listen to another amazing episode in the life of the great Gildersleeve. Now we look in on the home of the great Gildersleeve, where we find him breakfasting with his family. That is, he's breakfasting with Marjorie. Leroy is tearing around the house, having mislaid something important. Leroy, come and eat your breakfast. You can find the composition later. But, Uncle, I have to take it to school with me. I don't care. You have to eat, too. Now sit down and get at those prunes. Okay. What is this composition, anyway? An essay on why I love teachers? No, Marjorie. What is it, Leroy? It's for my class in civics. Oh, that. I think I saw it. Where? Was it written in ink? Yeah, it was all ready to hand in. Practically. You left it inside the top of the radio cabinet. Oh, boy. That's right. That's right. Leroy, sit down and finish your breakfast. It won't take a second if it's there. The darn kid gets his mind on something. He certainly is stubborn. Don't suppose it runs in the family, do you? Huh? What do you mean by that? <laughs> you want to hear my composition, Uncle? Well, I'd like to very much, my boy, but I want you to eat your prunes first. Just a sec. The most important duty of a citizen. Well, is that your title, Leroy? Well, we all had to write about that. 
There is one duty which every American citizen has. It is the most important duty of every citizen. If you are a loyal American, you will always remember this important duty. You owe it to your country and to the state and town in which you live to take care of this great duty. Now I'm stuck. (laughs) What's the problem, Leroy? I don't know what the important duty is. (laughs) Young man, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. Everyone knows the highest duty of a citizen. Work? No. That's important, of course, but not the most important. Do you know, Marjorie? To get married and have a family. Well, although that's important, but... uh, Excuse me, how many folks want oatmeal? I do, Bertie. Uh, Wait a minute, Bertie. I find Leroy and Marjorie, neither of them know the highest duty of a citizen. I'll bet you can tell me. Sure I can, Mr. Gilsley. When election day comes around, go down and vote. Of course. You children ought to be ashamed. Oh, well, it don't mean much to them yet, but it means plenty to me. It should mean plenty to every one of us, Bertie. A democracy is as strong as its weakest link. Every citizen who is legally entitled to vote must do so, or the election will not represent the sovereign will of the people. Gee, say that again, will you, Unc? I want to put it in my composition. (laughs) Just put it in your own words, Leroy. Oh, please, Unc. The teacher likes that fancy hot air. (laughs) (laughs) It's not hot air, Leroy. Voting is a citizen's most important duty. Why, I've had it on my calendar for three weeks to go down and register. (laughs) You won't have to keep it that much longer, Mr. Gillsleeve. Today's the last day. Today? Oh, my goodness. Well, lucky I remembered it. Throckmorton, have you come to register? Oh, Eve, well, I didn't know you'd be here tonight. Well, I'm not doing a thing, really, but as principal of the school, I'm expected to supervise. Oh, yes. Uh, Where do I go? Right inside, in the assembly room. Judge Hooker will take care of you. He doesn't seem to be busy. Hooker, eh? I might have known he'd be in on this. The judge is one of our volunteers. Uh, Eve, before the judge butts in, could I take you home after registration's over? I'd be very grateful. Uh, Judge, here's a gentleman who'd like to register. See you later, Eve. Hi, Judge. Good evening. How's the old goat tonight? Do I understand you wish to register? What do you think I came down here for? Your name, please. What? Your name, please. Your name. My name is General Dwight D. Eisenhower. (laughs) (laughs) Why, I, I find no record of any such name on the district list. Next in line. I'm next. Wait a minute, you. Since my name appears to have slipped your feeble old mind, I will refresh your memory. I am Throckmorton P. Gildersleeve. Remember me? If I had a name like that, I wouldn't shout it. Why, you... (laughs) Throckmorton P. Gildersleeve. Incredible. Your address? 271 Parkside Avenue. Have you been a resident of Summerfield for more than six months? Hooker, what are you trying to do, antagonize me? Answer yes or no. Yes, ye gods. (laughs) More than six months. What party ticket you going to vote? Wouldn't you like to know? I have to know. You want to vote in the primaries, you have to register as one thing or the other. That is ridiculous. Declines to state. I do not decline to state. I refuse. I'm not voting for either party. I'm going to vote for the best candidate. And don't ask me which. And don't expect any help from me. Go on and vote in your own dumb way and make a mess of it. <laughs> Are you quite through? Quite. Are you? I have one more question. Yes? The question has to do with literacy. Can you read and write? (laughs) By George Hooker, I don't have to take that from you. You made that question up. Sign your name. (laughs) (laughs) Yourself. 
since everyone's gone. You're sure you don't mind taking me home, Throckmorton? Mind? Don't be silly. <laughs> I'll just make sure all the lights are out first. Oh, Eve, before we go, which is Leroy's classroom? Oh, right down the hall here. Would you like to see it? Well, I'm kind of curious. I'd like to see where he gets into mischief when he's not at home. This is it, in here. Dark. There's a light switch beside the door. By George, takes me back. I haven't been in a schoolroom since I was a kid. Those desks, same kind we used to have when I was in school. They are rather old-fashioned. I wonder which is Leroy's. I think it's one of these down in front here. Front? I'm surprised at Leroy. I always used to try to get a seat near the back. Teachers are smarter these days. Those are just the boys they move down front. <laughs> Nobody ever had any trouble finding my desk. I always carved my initials in it. I used to set up my geography book for a screen, then go to work with a pen knife. <laughs> I'm afraid you must have told Leroy about that. Huh? Why? Come over here. Look. <laughs> Chip off the old block, eh? It's a form of vandalism we don't like to have encouraged. Yeah, you're right. Destroying public property. Wait till I get him home. <laughs> I think the punishment might be more effective if it came from someone less guilty than you. I was a bad boy. Punish me, Eve. Go ahead, punish me. <laughs> well, if it happens again, Throckmorton, I shall have to send you up to see the principal. No, no, not that. <laughs> Eve, let's play school, huh? I'll sit here in Leroy's seat if I can get into oh, it. Careful, Throckmorton, careful. There. A little tight. I suppose I'm the grouchy old teacher. Oh, no. You sit right here in front of me. Why? I want to pull your pigtails. <laughs> uh, what kind of a boy were you, Throckmorton? Well, you used to call me Tubby. I was a little stout in those days. I mean, what were you like? What did you think about? Well, I guess I was like most kids, Eve. I didn't do much thinking. I figured things would take care of themselves, and someday I'd just naturally grow up to be president. Children are so pathetic. Yeah. You know, it's funny, Eve. Here I am, back in school, sitting at a desk again, after 30 years. And look at me. Eve, I'm a failure. Oh, Throckmorton, you mustn't talk that way. You hold an important office in this town. Water commissioner. <laughs> of course, the department has shown a profit now for two years running. Of course, and you were appointed to the school board last fall. You don't realize it, but you've become a big public figure here. Maybe I ought to reduce a little. <laughs> no, I'm not joking. You've proven yourself in Summerfield. You've shown your capacity for a bigger job. A uh, bigger job? Yes. You mean... Yes. President? Well, no, I meant mayor. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I was only joking, of course. <laughs> Imagine me, president. <laughs> Ridiculous. <laughs> but mayor, do you really think I'd stand a chance against Terwilliger Eve? After all, he's been in for four years. I've told you before, Throckmorton, I believe you can do anything you really put your mind to. Certainly would burn Terwilliger. <laughs> What's more important, it would be a wonderful thing for Summerfield. Oh, you're sweet to say that, Eve. You're sweet, anyway. I have faith in you, Throckmorton. I have faith in you, too, Eve. <laughs> of course, it'd be a lot of work, though. Campaigning and all that, an awful lot of work. Oh, of course it would. What if I got elected? <whistles> Mayor. 
That'd be even more work. And an even greater honor. I know, but uh, I've never really had much ambition in that direction, I guess. All I've ever really wanted was to settle down and be comfortable and marry some nice girl. Uh, mentioning no names, of course. <laughs> Eve, seriously. Throckmorton, I don't know what you have in mind. Oh, yes, you do. <laughs> But there's one thing I'd like you to know. What's that? I could never care deeply for a man unless I respected him. And I couldn't respect a man who didn't live up to the best that was in him. Huh? I could never love anyone who didn't try, at least, to fulfill the most he was capable of. Now, you're capable of being mayor, a good mayor. You mean if I get to be mayor, you'll say yes? Well, shall we discuss that after you're mayor? Perhaps then, if you still feel the same way. Oh, Eve, my hat's in the ring, and the ring is as good as on your finger. Oh, Throckmorton, you're wonderful. <laughs> it's you that's wonderful. Why, George, if I'd met you 20 years ago, I wouldn't be where I am now. Why, I owe you my whole career. Oh, now, Throckmorton. It's true. I'll never forget this moment, Eve, sitting here at this little desk tonight with you. It's a momentous moment. It's the beginning of my career. It's not going to be easy, Throckmorton. There'll be obstacles. It's not going to be easy, but I'll do it. From now on, I'll let no obstacles stand in my way. With your help, Eve, I'll... I'll, uh... Eve. What is it? Eve, I'm stuck. This desk. I can't get out of it. <laughs> Eve, help! Help me! Rod Morton, be careful. Pull! I'm pulling! Oh. <laughs> Eve! <laughs> Leroy's desk. Well, there goes my first obstacle. <laughs> we'll be back with the great Gildersleeve. In just... There was a somewhat of a difference between the Gildersleeve character that was on the Fibber McGee show and then the, what would it have been, a warmer character perhaps well, that, yes. that you created for yes, the... I was an antagonist, you know, to McGee uh -huh. on his show, uh -huh. which when I left, that's what Gail Gordon became. Mayor uh, Latrivia. McGee yes. had to have somebody that he could fight all the time. Mm -hmm. When I decided to do my own show, of course, why then I warmed the character up a little bit, even changed the uh, the attitude, you know, mm -hmm. so that he became a warmer person. And because he had a family to raise, and it wasn't too difficult to do, all I had to do was kind of lighten up the voice a little bit and make the laugh a little more human. We were just lucky. I just happened to hit the air at the right time and made it, you know. Now let's rejoin the great Gildersleeve. It's the morning after his political discussion with Eve Goodwin, and we find him now at his office, trying to keep his mind on the affairs of the water department. Uh, where was I, Bessie? Replying to your favor of the 21st. Oh, yes, replying to your favor of the 21st. Uh, whose favor? Uh, you can take it in here, Bessie. Thank you. Water department? Oh, yes, Mr. Anderson, he's here. Charlie Anderson, Mr. Gildersleeve. Oh? Uh, he complained quite a lot yesterday about having to read the water meters. Well, the meter reader is sick. Somebody's got to do it. Hello? Now you listen here, Charlie. I don't care if you are the engineer. But we've got... Now you... You can't talk to me like that. Did he hang up? No, I did. He calls back. I won't talk to him. Now he... Read those meters or you're fired. I hope that was Charlie. <laughs> What's going on in here, Gildersleeve? I could hear you clear down the hall. Oh, uh, hello, Judge. Just a little disciplinary action is all. You can go now, Bessie, and I don't wish to be disturbed. Yes, sir. Sit down, Horace. Have a cigar. Hmm. Anything the matter with it? <laughs> Great kidder. Horace, old man, is my best friend. There's something I'd like to ask you. What? 
What would you think if I was to run for mayor of this town? <laughs> Give me back my cigar. Oh, I'm sorry, Gildy. You shouldn't spring that kind of a thing on a fellow without a warning. No, see here, Hooker. Uh, Gildy, are you serious about this? Certainly I'm serious. What's so funny about it? Well, Throckmorton, there's just one thing you ought to consider be before you file your intention to run. What? Who the dickens would vote for you? Plenty of people. You don't think so? You're not the friend I took you for, that's all. Well, Gildy, I am your friend, and I don't want to see you make a jackass of yourself. Publicly. Be careful, Hooker. How'd you like to run for mayor and get maybe three votes? You don't know what you're talking about, Judge. You're not in touch with the public. Maybe I'm not, but I haven't lost an election bet in ten years. I'm serious, Gildy. Don't rush into this. You want to inquire around a little and feel out public sentiment. But, Judge... Okay, how busy you to see me? Oh, my goodness, Charlie Anderson. Now, look here, Charlie. Dad busted, Commissioner. If you want an engineer that reads water meters in his spare time, you can get yourself another boy. I haven't got any spare time. Gildy, I can see you're going to be busy for a while. Uh-huh. Think over what I said. Uh, now, wait a minute, Judge. Don't let me chase you out, Judge. I was leaving anyway, Charlie. Thanks for the cigar, Gildy. Uh, confound it. No, Charlie. No arguments now, Commissioner. I've been ringing doorbells and talking to lonesome housewives for a day and a half, and that's too long. Uh, oh, they want me to fix the plumbing, too. That's not part of your job, and you tell them so. Better than listening to them talk. Talk your arm off. Oh, they do, eh? What do they talk about? Everything, Dad. Busted. Everything under the sun. Well, you have to take that. Uh, do they ever talk politics? They'll talk anything. <laughs> Have a cigar, Charlie. Well, thanks. Charlie, you could do me a big favor. Oh? Huh? Oh. <laughs> I'm thinking of running for, well, for mayor. And you could find out what people think of the idea. How? Ask them uh, when you read the meter. Can't do it, Commissioner. Even if I wanted to do you the favor, I couldn't. My feet's killing me. Oh, well, I'll lend you my car. Or I would if I had some gas. Well, there it is. Why don't you read the meters and ask him yourself, Dad Buster? Well, that wouldn't do, Charlie. Modesty forbids. Well, you wouldn't have to tell him who you were. Well, I'm too well known. Still, if I put on your overalls and cap and stuck a Stilson wrench in my hip pocket... Charlie, how'd you like to be king for a day? Well, I wouldn't even want to be president these days, Mr. Gildersleeve. I was speaking figuratively. You take my clothes and be water commissioner. I'll take your overalls and talk to my subjects. Well... You're getting all the worst of it, but you asked for it, Dad Busted. Uh, you leave the cigars unlocked? Don't overdo it, Charlie. Let me have your overalls. How do? Are you the lady of the house? Yes. Uh, I'm from the water department. I'd like to read your meter. Mike, for you read it last week. Oh. (laughs) Well, if you don't mind, then, I'd like to ask you a question. Yes. (laughs) Uh, What do you think of this fellow, Gildersleeve? I hear there's some talk that he may run for mayor. If they ever elect that idiot mayor, I'll leave town. In his early 20s, Walter Tetley was already a radio veteran, having worked on the Children's Hour, the Fred Allen Show, Raising Junior, and many other programs. As Leroy, he was the perfect deflator of Gildy's tender ego. Are you kidding? He would snarl, 
bringing out the inevitable Gildersleeve retort. Leroy. To Leroy, Gildy was simply Unk, a guy whose performance was usually outstripped by his intentions. What a character, Leroy would bleat as he caught his uncle in the fib of the week. He later worked with Phil Harris and Alice Fay. I need to ask you about Walter Tetley. Yeah. Now, he was on the Gildersleeve uh, radio yeah, show as yeah. uh, his, uh, Gildersleeve's nephew, Leroy. Mm -hmm. And he was a wise yeah, kid on that wise, show. But kid. on your show, he was the grocery boy. Brung the groceries. Julius yeah. Abruzio. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Brung the groceries. Brung the groceries. <laughs> Miss Fay, he said. Yeah. Yeah. It was funny. By 1944, then 37, Lorene Tuttle was one of the most versatile actresses on the air, capable of playing any part that required any age and almost any dialect. Lillian Randolph played Bertie Lee Coggins, housekeeper and voice of reason. There was an audition out for this character. Mm -hmm. I heard of the audition. I was over at MGM singing with a group of people for some background music for a picture. And at the time I was to be at NBC to audition, we would be singing there at MGM. Mm -hmm. So I told the kids to cover for me, I was going to slip out. <laughs> so I pointed my car so that I wouldn't have any trouble scooting away from there. And fortunately, just at the time I was to leave, or the length of time that it would take me to drive from MGM to NBC, we got a break. And I slipped out and got into my car and I just shot over <laughs> to NBC and ran all the way inside. And when I ran into the place, I slid all the way across the floor. Oh my! And the men in the control booth laughed and I laughed too. <laughs> and there were oh, loads of women in there waiting for it. And some had already auditioned. And I auditioned, and they said, that's the gal we want. <laughs> I think they loved your laugh, probably, too, because we Maybe did. so. <laughs> but however, I got the job, and oh, they were the nicest people. Mr. Cecil Underwood was the producer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Harold Perry was great to work with. Great. A fine man. And he stayed there, I guess, until he got tired, and then Willard Waterman took it over. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And he was there nine years. But I stayed right straight along. How do? Are you the lady of the house? We don't want any. Just a minute. I'm from the water department. Well, if you've come about your old bill... Oh, but I haven't. There's no hurry about the old bill. Take all the time you want to pay it. Take a month. Take two months. Three months. All right. What do you want? I'd like to read your meter. Down in the cellar. Uh, first, I'd like to ask you a question. Madam, are you in favor of good government? You're selling something. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely not. I just want to ask you what you think of Commissioner Gildersleeve for mayor. Us boys down at the waterworks think a heap of the commissioner, and we'd sure like to see him... The commissioner is a big, fat, loudmouth, and you can tell him so for me. All right, read your own meter. <laughs> 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 What can I... Why, it's Mr. Gildersleeve. Hello, Peavy. Well, going fishing? Yeah, fishing? <laughs> well, I, I couldn't help noticing the overalls in the cab. Well, what's that got to do with fishing? That's what I was wondering. 
Let me have a cup of coffee, will you, PV? I need something to cheer me up. Certainly, Mr. Gallisleeve. I just made some up fresh. Received some bad news? Well, yes and no. Hmm, here we are. The cup that cheers. PV, what do you think of Terwilliger as a mayor? What do I think of him? Yeah. Excellent man, Mayor Terwilliger. Excellent man. I know, I know. What do you really think of him? Well, I think he... he, he excellent. Yes. P.V., you're just like all the other people in this town. Well, no, I wouldn't say that. You are. I tell you, there's not one spark of sentiment in favor of honest, clean, decent government in this town. Well, no, I wouldn't say that either. Don't tell me, P.V., I know. I've just been out taking a poll. A poll, Mr. Gilbert? House to house, door to door, man to man. And every house I've gone to, I've gotten the same answer. Not interested. Well, how many houses have you gone to, Mr. Gildersleeve? Two, and they were unanimous. <laughs> I tell you, it's enough to discourage a man with the whole idea of democracy. Uh, do you mind if I ask you something? No. What? Uh, what is the nature of this poll you've been conducting? It's an impartial survey, Peavy. Uh, no, but what's its purpose? To get me elected mayor. You're going to run for mayor, Mr. Gildersleeve? Well, I've been thinking of it. That's what this survey is for, Peavy, to find out whether anyone else has been thinking of it. So far, it hasn't been very encouraging. Well, I don't think you ought to let yourself be discouraged, Mr. Gildersleeve. The road to success is not easy. Now, now you take a man like, well, a man like William Jennings Bryan. He ran for president time after time, and did he ever get discouraged? No. And did he ever get elected? Well, not that I recall, no. <laughs> That's what I say, Peavy. I go around to all these houses and ask them whether they're going to vote for Terwilliger or for good, clean government. And what answer do I get? Well, Mr. Gildersleeve, if you'd come to my house and ask me, I'd vote for you. Oh, would you, Peavy? Yes, I would, and so would Mrs. Peavy. Well, thanks. Gosh, it's good to know you have one supporter. Two, Mr. Gildersleeve. That's right, two. That makes it two for and two against. Why, my campaign hasn't even started, and already I'm in a neck-to-neck tie. <laughs> and uh, Judge Hooker, he'd vote for you. Well, I wouldn't count on the judge. Machine man. But there's Eve Goodwin. That makes three. And Leela, that's four. And Floyd the barber, he'd vote for you. I'll bet Floyd would vote for me twice. Quite <laughs> well, Mr. Gildersleeve. Yes, uh, only joking, Peavy. We've got to keep this election clean as a whistle. Well, and there's Dr. Pettibone. Yes. And Mr. Powers. His paper supported you for water commissioner. That's right, Peavy. And Ken Banks. Why, it's beginning to roll up like a regular snowball, Mr. Gildersleeve. Peavy, it's a trend. That's what it is. A definite trend. I'm going to start this survey all over again. Wipe the slate clean and start over. I'm going to an entirely different set of houses, and I'll bet you I get a different answer. <laughs> How do you? Are you the lady of the house? No. Oh, my error. <laughs> I've come to read the water meter. Say, aren't you Gildersleeve, the water commissioner? Well, uh, yes. You see, there's a manpower shortage. By ginger, it's a pleasure to see a water commissioner who isn't ashamed to work with his hands. Come in. Glad to see you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I can't stay, of course. Yes, I... sir. Water commissioner in overalls, going from house to house. Never thought I'd live to see the day. I've always enjoyed doing a little honest toil. <laughs> I'm sure I've met you, Mr. Uh, I can't seem to place you. I'm Ralph Schuster. I'm the head of the Minx Lodge here in Summerfield. Oh, the Minx Lodge. Yeah. Yes, I've met you with Judge Hooker. Oh, fine man, the judge. Yeah, and the Minx is a fine lodge. Well, we think so. 
Water meter's right out here, Mr. Gildersleeve. Oh, yes, yes. Just uh, come right through the kitchen here. Oh, uh, thank you. Yeah. Oh, fine kitchen. Uh-uh. Leaky faucet there in that sink, Mr. Schuster. I know it. I've been trying to get a plumber for days. Oh, here's the meter. Oh, there she is. Now, uh, let's see. Uh, 16,000 kilowatts. Oh, <laughs> electricity. <laughs> uh, here's the water here. Uh, 12,280 cubic feet. 14,010 cubic feet. Well, you're a good customer. It's good water. You bet it is. We put in a whole new filtration system to improve the flavor. Oh, is that so? Yes, sir. I've made a few improvements in my time. Well, that's more than Clanahan ever did when he was commissioner. Well, he was a great favorite with the mayor. The mayor. There's another fellow never did an honest day's work in his life. Uh, Mr. Schuster, hmm? how would you like to see a change in the mayor's office this year? There's nothing I'd like better. If we could only find the man to beat him. Well, did you know that President McKinley started his career as water commissioner of Buffalo? He did? Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> Shake, Mr. Schuster. Put her there. Oh, hey, wait a minute. I almost gave you the minx's grip. <laughs> uh, Mr. Schuster, you're a man after my own heart. Before I leave here, I'm going to do you a little favor. I'm going to fix that leaky faucet of yours. Oh, no, Mr. Gildersleeve. No, no, please. Part of our service. Just a sample of what the people will get when I'm mayor. Well, if, if you really want to. Uh, sure. This is a very simple faucet. Got one at home just like it. Uh, almost like it, anyway. So you just put the wrench on here. Give it a little twist. That uh, faucet's pretty old. Yeah, they don't make them like this anymore. Darn thing. Won't seem to... Oh, turn it off! I'm trying to. I'm soaking wet. So am I. Well, turn it off! You're ruining my kitchen. I can't help it. I'm doing the best I can. Oh, get out of here. I'll get a plumber. But, Mr. Schuster... A fine mayor you'd make. Now, go on, get out. Just for one little mistake? I'd vote against you if you were the only man running. You'll be sorry. Oh, no, I won't. And I know 800 links that'll feel the same. you was never coming back, Commissioner. I had to change my clothes, Charlie. Any phone calls while I was out? I'll say. The mayor called up. Gee, what did he want? Said for you to get over to his office in five minutes or he'd be seeing about a new water commissioner. Oh, my goodness. Uh, what'd you tell him, Charlie? Told him you was out seeing about a new mayor. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess my hat is in the ring, all right. <laughs> This rebroadcast is a presentation of the Armed Forces Radio Service. Of note, this recording came courtesy of the Armed Forces Radio Service. At this time, Howard Duff, still an unknown actor, was working for the AFRS and recutting many shows to get them on the air for enlisted servicemen around the world. How long was the Phantom Pilot on the air, or in the air? About two and a half years, mm -hmm. as I remember. Mm -hmm. Then I, when I went off, then I starved for a little while, and Elliot Lewis helped me, uh, and finally I was able to crack this magic circle of uh, radio actors. They were rather tight. It was tight. Should we say yeah. snobbish? I don't know. Yeah. And this is still prior to uh, the Second World War. This is prior to, to World War Deuce, yeah. Yeah, and there is this nucleus of actors on the West Coast that do 98% well, of the there work. There were, I would that... say roughly uh, about the Magic 20, what was it, or something like that, who did most of the work. Yeah, like Hans Conrad and William Hans Conrad. Conrad. Oh, the whole bunch of guys. 
Frank Nelson. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, Lou Merrill, Elliot Lewis, uh, Kathy Lewis, Kathy who was Lewis. then his wife. Yeah. And, and then I'm back in the infantry again and at Salina, Kansas, of all places, and I got orders to come to Hollywood. Are you ready for this? For the Armed Forces Radio Service. It was the talk of the, the whole division. <laughs> this dumb fool is going to Hollywood. And what was it like in the Armed Forces? This was a pioneering effort in those days. Uh, the Armed Forces Radio Service? Armed, yes, that part of your career, yes. Well, actually, the they, didn't, the they didn't really know what to do with people like myself, who actually, I was not a writer, per se. I was not a producer. I was not a director. So Elliot Lewis and myself and Alan Hewitt and a couple of other people were put in charge of... Uh, Elliot and I, originally, we recorded regular commercial programs off the air, and then we had to reassemble them because of censorship reasons, you know, in wartime, where certain things were verboten. And we reproduced them, as a matter of fact. That was our job. We, it was a separate department. We turned out an awful lot of programs a week. And how were these programs used? Were they... Oh, we, said, we a, had stations all over wherever mm-hmm. American troops were, in Alaska, Far East, uh, you know, in China, whenever, you know, when we can get into China, and, uh, and, of course, the Western Pacific, New Guinea, and whatever. 